Welcome to another episode of the Hot Hot Hoops Podcast, Playoff Edition. I'm uh, senior writer Brandon Aperno, joined here by site manager Saria Fernandez, the real OG of Hot Hot Hoops. Um, you will also right. be joined by uh, Matt Hannafin in a, in a short while, and uh, let's get it going. Uh, Saria, absolute travesty of a game. Saw Yanis yep. on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, give me your first initial thoughts. Uh, that was probably, I, I don't think I ever recalled watching a heat playoff game where I lost interest during the game. I mean, I just, I had in the background in the second half, I mean, the game was over in the second quarter. I think those barrage of three pointers that you wish the heat could produce a game like that, but it was Milwaukee's night. Um, they obviously showed why they're the better team in the series. Um, order was restored, so to speak. I still feel like that was just a huge, huge opportunity wasted for the Heat. If, if if they played like they were okay with the split and they should have played like their playoff lives depended on it because it did. Um, going up 0-2, going back home is a completely different story than 1-1. Um, I don't know if they got their confidence back. I don't think they ever lost it, but we hit them with a, you know, a good punch in the game one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where that urgency was in, in game two. Uh, I don't know what the game plan was. I am struggling to understand how the game plan of Max covering Lopez was going to work in any any sort of figment of imagination. I don't know what what, what the point of that is. I, I mean, we could put a traffic call on the on the paint. That might be more or less the same effectiveness. Um, but that's just one one of the issues. There's just too many issues. The, the heat looked slow. They looked, uh, I mean, they look small. The small ball, this doesn't work if you can't, uh, hit outside shots, you can't go out and transition, you can't force turnovers. Um, they're not disrupting anything that Milwaukee is, is wants to run. And that's without Giannis, which is, is, is troublesome. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where the heat go from here. Hopefully they play better at home. <laughs> But as far as X's and O's go, um, they're going to have to come up with something better than, than what they did in game two. I think the Heat maybe get one more win. And I don't mean to sound pessimistic to our audience or anything, but if you have covered, or sorry, you've watched Heat games this year, you know this is not the same team as last year. Um, no. Game one worked well because the Heat were hitting their shots. Um, and they were doing everything that they didn't do during the regular season. But one game is a small sample size compared to 82 of mediocrity. Um, and that's kind of what we saw on the weekend. Um, there's a reason the Bucks are considered the number one team in the NBA. Um, and oh, yeah. it's of their depth. Um, and Heat fans can even see some of their depth because former starters play reserve minutes on, on the Bucks or former Heat starters play reserve minutes on the Bucks. Um, yeah. you know, with, uh, with, uh, with Goron and, uh, with, uh, Jay Crowder. Um, just, just, you know, just, highlighting their bench just uh, you know just uh, as cherries right their bench and yeah if you have an opportunity um to take on a team without Giannis and you know former MVP then you need to take your best shot and for the heat to really be the number eight seed that upset the number one seed I thought yes uh, I thought Wednesday night was a um was a must-win game and they yeah. didn't get it done and it, it's it's a damn shame, and I don't think the Heat um, keel over by any means. Uh, I think that they're able to get uh, at least one home win. I think Jimmy Butler has shown us time and time again that he can will a win or two, like he did during the NBA Finals, and at least like three times last playoffs. 
but I don't think the way the team is right now with, uh, with Tyler injured, uh, with Lowry hampered and, you know, with, um, with inconsistent play from the other guys. I, and it really, it's sad to say, it's just like, what you can't, you can't, the Heat can't guard this team. It's a, we hang our hat on yeah. defense, but we can't guard this team. And I think that, I think we saw that. I mean, what was, uh, they were nearly up 20 the entire game, 30 at points. It was, it was embarrassing. And, uh, and like you said, it just became, it just became a background and something to watch in the background. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's a shame. You don't, I like the Heat don't, you know, it's special time to be in playoffs. And I like, I love it when the Heat are in them, but it's like at this point, um, you know, we're, it, we've really just sacrificed and, uh, and this is so pessimistic. I hate being this guy, but we've sacrificed a number 14 pick for number 18 pick at this point. So we better hope this draft is deep as hell. And, uh, right. And, uh, and no, and, and, and it's, it's a shame. Uh, I didn't like anything that I saw on the court. I, I mean, there's actually a couple things I, I liked. So, um, I'll, I won't be entirely pessimistic. I like the play from Depot, 15 points and him making good decisions. That's, that's a great sign of potential things to come. Obviously, I, I liked Jimmy and Bam, but even I, I forgot what they were. I think, I think Bam was minus 25. I think Jimmy was minus 33. Um, yeah. And they're both, they're de- both are definitely, I mean, I think all the started except for, Maybe Duncan was in in the plus. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like you said, it's not so much that it's not uh, that they lost game two because uh, to be to be the road game and to, the road team and to win two games in a row against the top seeded. I mean, who can do that? I, I I understand that it would be a difficult task. It's the way they lost game two, almost yeah. that just kind of just sapped my my enthusiasm after game one. Uh, if they had played hard, I and mean, if it was a close game, like, I don't know, 70 out of the 82 games in the regular season were, then, okay, different story. We're, I, I, you know, I can see that maybe there's a pathway here, but, I mean, and you mentioned their their depth. They have, like, they have two good teams. The yeah. Heat don't even have a good team right at the moment, and the Bucks can beat you in several ways. The Heat, I mean, you mentioned it. If their outside shot isn't falling, I mean, I really don't know what else they can do. They're not going to – Bam is not going to be some sort of superior inside presence in, in the paint. Not against this team. Um, it, it's it, it was such a thorough beating, and then if Giannis comes back, um, I, I, I don't know what kind of a game plan you have when – I mean, t- sh- it, Butler is really the only key – to getting yeah maybe a one 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 more win too yeah um, without yeah. Tyler and I totally understand what Barkley is saying the loss of Tyler is way bigger for the Heat than the loss of Giannis is for the Bucks and you, you're it, it doesn't make sense the first time you but the, you think about it and it's it's so true for the Heat to lose a twenty point score somebody that can create their own shot. Uh, it makes sense based on what you said. It's huge. Yeah, it makes sense based on what you said. But the Bucks have two good teams, so it's like you know, right? Uh, two good teams together with an MVP style caliber player. Um, that's that's a that's a great team. Um, and the Heat to the yeah, what Barkley was saying when it's like Tyler is a huge loss is because yeah, the Heat at this point they struggle to put points on the board. They've struggled with that for seasons. Um, the scoring droughts are what sink them every time. And it's why we, right. uh, it's why we haven't won a championship in the last, uh, how many years. Um, but it takes two Miami heat players to fill the offensive load that Tyler provided. And, you know, if yeah. you could get that out of Duncan and you could get that out of Vic, uh, while getting the, what we got out of Tyler, that he can win. 
but it's like without Tyler and what, you know, and then you get decent production, you know, like the heat to beat the bucks, the heat need everybody to show up. And that means you need 18 points from Kevin love every night, not four, you know, okay. and, uh, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those things you need Lowry to be Lowry. You need the Lowry in against the Hawks in the playing game. You, you know, and if he's tweaked again, if, uh, then you're not going to get that. Um, more and more, this reminds me of um, the Heat losing uh, to the Bucks. Um, you know, right after right after the bubble run, uh, yeah. and so much so that the Heat played really well in Game One, and they lost in overtime. This year, they won Game or this season, they won Game One. Or this playoffs, they won Game One, and I feel like we might be in for a beatdown and maybe a gentleman's sweep. Um, but I still think I I still want to like kind of go against the grain there because I think they might. Um, they might still uh, claw out a victory in Miami just to appease the home fans, which would be nice. Yeah, I, I would. You would think that they could at least win one game at home. Uh, they haven't really been that good at home. Uh, I think last year, right in the playoffs or during the season too, hasn't been huge home court advantage. Uh, and you can you can go over and go like, well, why didn't why didn't Max play? Why couldn't Cody have played? And said, why didn't Love play here or there? Would it really make a difference in game two? I, I, I don't think so. I think it was so thorough. Uh, the game plan, they, they adjusted. Uh, and the Heat had nothing after the second quarter. It was just kind of just, we would just wait, wait for the time to go by. Um, do you, now I'm, I'm a little surprised about Nurse getting fired from the Raptors. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we can talk. How, like, like, why do so many teams pull the plug on, on a, on a clearly a good coach, somebody that was coach of the year, somebody that won them the championship. Why, why did the, the Raptors move on and every other NBA team and the heat stick with Spo um, through the good and the bad. Um, yeah. I, I, I wonder what that is because the heat, I think I've only had maybe five or six coaches ever. I think, I think, and, I think this is a particular case where I can actually provide a little bit of the insight on just because I, I am in Canada and I do get right. I do get most of the Raptors stuff. I haven't watched a, too much analysis on it, but I heard rumblings, especially in the uh, Toronto media over the last like over the last month about Nurse. Uh, keep in mind, Nurse is still going to remain the coach of Team Canada uh, for the Olympics. Uh, that hasn't changed. Um, but I'll kind of put it this way: uh, the Heat and Raptors, especially since Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster kind of took over the front office operations, they are there. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I think of like the Raptors as Heat North in a lot of ways, right? Uh, mm-hmm. their, their player development is fantastic. The way they get undrafted prospects and turn them into all stars is, is expansion, undrafted. expansion team. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. Um, and they, they run their locker room very well. Where Spo and Nick Nurse differ is in control of the locker room. Um, mm. there was an article, I think, uh, it was, I believe it was in the athletic that profiled Spo just a couple of weeks ago, um, forgetting who wrote it. Um, but if, if you're listening, it was a fantastic article and I will find your name and credit you. Um, but there's a lot, it wasn't a direct interview with Spo, but it was an interview with everybody surrounded by Spo and Spo commands so much respect, so much respect from the players, from everyone in the organization, from opponents, um, that it's like, you know, despite the fact that they're struggling and they're a little unmatched, it's like, even even people say like what, what like uh, they say they'd rather have Spo over like it was the it was I think it was uh, JJ Redick on um, on first take he was like yeah I might take Spo over Jimmy 
at this point, if I was building a team and it's like, you know, nobody talks about coaches that way for Nick nurse. Right. The one thing that I saw um, is Nick nurse uh, was a polarizing individual um, on the Raptors. And that's not to say he was a bad coach. He was a fantastic coach. He won a championship. Um, and uh, the Raptors have been a high performing team pretty much ever since, but they were expected to do more this year with what they had. They didn't have a bad roster, but they, they obviously, you know, losing a 17 to 20 point lead in a play-in game um, and losing your chance to beat the heat and go to the playoffs is uh, is a really big black mark. But from what I heard, uh, Nick Nurse lost the locker room a little bit. He had no mm. problem, um, you know, he had no problem criticizing the players if they played well, or sorry, if they played badly. And he would happily do it in the media. Like, um, you know, I think Chris Boucher is a really good example because, you know, uh, Chris Boucher is a very good player and, you know, he has a lot of uh, potential and, um, obviously he's great at doing certain things and he should get more rotation minutes, but you know, sometimes he would fall to seven and sometimes he would fall to 12. And when asked in the media, like what's going on with Chris Boucher, Nick nurse would just be like, Oh, he needs to play better. He's not doing what the team needs him to do or something along those lines. So when you're looking for buy-in from the locker room, I feel like he lost that a little bit. You know, it's been a long time since 2019. There's not that many players who won the championship uh, with him. Right. On the team, like uh, aside from uh, Pascal and Fred Van Vliet and, uh, and OG Ananobi, who didn't even play in that finals run, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a different it's a different team in a lot of ways. And I think I think the fact that he was polarizing um, uh, contributed. I think he may have lost the locker room, and maybe him and the front office were batting heads a little bit. I mean, Nick Nurse was probably a little like I mean, the joke was that uh, the whole the whole Raptors squad is six nine. Right. Like that, that was the joke running throughout the season. So with that, um, it's one of those things where it, where it's like, it didn't surprise me. It's a little disappointing. Um, but I think you might be looking at the next coach of the Houston Rockets and Nick nurse. Right. Yeah. And that's a pretty good pickup for, for a rebuilding team like, like them. Absolutely. Um, and, and with nurse as, as well as Spo, how much blame, do you want to give the coach for the roster that they were given? Cause they're not, you know, they're not one of those pl- uh, coach GMs. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, do you assign maybe equal blame to the player performances to the coach and to the front office? Or is it way more bl- complex than that? <laughs> I don't blame Spo at all for this. Right. The roster is the same roster as last year. You know, um, with that, you make as many adjustments as you can. Uh, but like, you know, and I know one player makes a big difference. I just didn't think PJ Tucker was the difference between a number one and an eight seed, especially given what he's. I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the, he would have ended up with if PJ was here, but more or less might have been the same thing. <laughs> I think we get the same. I think the regret, like Lowry, Lowry was, I remember when we signed Lowry to the contract, I was excited to get Kyle Lowry, but I remember looking at his age and being like, oh, that's not great. Um, and I think many people could agree with that. Um, but I, you know, and I've learned a long time ago not to question Pat Riley, but I, uh, but I think in this kind of space, I think we need to take a look at the front office. I, th- I don't know if the heat were willing to spend. Um, and I think we saw it on the court. They're just, uh, every year that the heat make major adjustments in the off season, they do well the next season. Then it, oh, sorry, Wendy today in Montreal. Um, and, uh, when we acquired Jimmy Butler for, um, and I guess the hard cap really, uh, to get rid of Josh Richardson, the Heat made a finals run, you know, the next year, uh, they added what Avery Bradley and Mo Harkless and then, uh, Trevor Ariza and, um, the Heat got swept by the Bucks. 
Um, and you know, now they made, then they got PJ Tucker and they got Kyle Lowry and the Heater won game yeah. in the finals. And once again, we make no moves up until bio season and we acquire Kevin Love and Cody Zeller and the Heater struggle, the Heat struggle in the play in and are basically struggling in the playoffs. It's, it's one of those things, but it's like, you need to make moves to, I think, stay on top of the way the league is changing. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you jump on and you go forward and you really, you can't like, people are going to analyze what made your team great the season before you kind of can't go in with the exact same team and try to make a run again. I understand running it back, but you have to run it back with different schemes. So that falls on Spo, who's done a pretty good job with what he's had. He's won a lot of games in the clutch this year. The Heat do keep it close. They're competitive that way. It just makes it a slog to watch. Um, especially like one after the other and to lose close games is disappointing like that. But it's one of the things where, yeah, I do, I do have to put blame on the front office this year because there were deals to make, you know, like, well, how different could this team be if we could have, like, even if we reacquired Kelly Olenek, you know, to fill, to get some size, you know, um, even if we made, could we have made a move for Mikhail Bridges? You know, um, even even someone like Cam Johnson to get some shooting on the roster, uh, like they're killing it in Brooklyn. And, you know, we see there was almost every team in the NBA made a move at the trade deadline, except the Heat and the Caps. And uh, it's like there were deals to be made. The Heat generally loved doing those deals. I just maybe maybe the front office saw something that we didn't see this season. But like um, it's been a season, I think, with the common theme being mediocrity. And that's, and that's a little disappointing, I think. And, and like, look, the playoffs are still new. Um, we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see what happens uh, obviously as the, as we count down uh, the final days of the season. But uh, from, from here uh, it's, it's, it's one of, it's one of those, it's, it's ambiguous. Um, Matt Hannafin has joined the call. Senior writer Matt, ha- Matt Hannafin. And uh, we're pretty much going to do an exchange here because I have to jump off. Um, but, uh, so this is, this is me signing off. All right. Welcome back to part two of the latest episode of the Hot Hoops podcast. I'm here with Matt. Um, we, in the first part, we talked about game two, our reactions. I think it'd be fair to let you have a few minutes to talk about what you thought. Um, what, what happened? What was so different between game one and game two? Well, I mean, when you shoot 60% from the three-point line and 60% from the field in game one, you know that's going to regress. Um, even though the final percentages weren't as – they didn't look bad in the end for Miami in game two, but at the same time, Milwaukee did hit a franchise record 25 threes, breaking the previous franchise record that they also set against Miami two years ago, which I think it was like 22, 23 threes, something like that. Um and so, I mean, you knew Miami's shooting was going to regress a little bit because, I mean, that's just from what we've seen from Miami this year, that was the most efficient playoff performance in franchise history. And then from what we've seen from Miami this year, they weren't they weren't a good shooting team. I mean, they uh, heated up, no pun intended, in the second half of the season a little bit. But you didn't think that was going to sustain itself against one of the best defenses in the league over time. But, when I mean, I think Miami shot like 29% from three in the – in the first half, 30% through three quarters. I mean, it did again up itself by the end of the game, but I mean, but then like defensively Miami's defensive effort wasn't really that good in game two. 
at least not as good as it was in game one. I mean, Miami did hold Milwaukee to sub 25% shooting from deep in game one, I believe. Um, and I didn't think like, I was like probably through the first 14 and a half, 15 minutes. I wasn't unimpressed with Miami. I mean, I think they were probably down. I think it was like eight to 10 points at the time. It was like, okay, this is still like salvageable a little bit. Obviously Milwaukee was playing without Giannis and you wanted to at least weather the storm a little bit. And, but like, then of course, Milwaukee, it turns from a 10 point lead to a 32 point lead or whatever it was before you could even blink. And that's kind of just what took the win out of the season. I mean, I didn't think Miami's paint defense was that great. Milwaukee did shoot 67% from in at the rim in the first half. They shot, I think 55, 60% from deep. Um, they were shooting 60% from the floor. Like they were, they weren't missing the shots that they were missing in game one. And I think that was a big part of it, but also like, it was just a weird game, like in terms of matchups. I mean, I know, again, I mentioned earlier that Giannis was out, but then you had Max Struess defending Brooke Lopez again for the second yep. straight game. And it's just like that itself over it. Like it, Milwaukee was much more intentional and they were, they were trying to at least get Brooke more touches in game two than they were in game one. And that, Helped. I mean, I think Brooke had like 19 first half points in game two. And that wasn't obviously the same volume that he was getting in game one. And like just all of that together, I mean, I didn't think Miami's point of attack defense was that well. I mean, it felt like Milwaukee was getting too many entry passes in to Brooke and to Bobby Portis and to their other big guys. Just a little easier than you would like. Also, they were just getting triple penetration. Miami wasn't able to stop it. Again, as I mentioned, I think the final number was they shot like 20 of 30 at the rim or 20 of 30 in the paint in the first half. And it's just like oh, all of that plus Milwaukee not missing a three from beyond the arc for yeah. probably, I don't know, a six to seven minute stretch that just completely swung the game. I mean, all of that together, you're not going to get the most you're not going to get the prettiest result from Miami. And uh, I mean, they did start Duncan in game two. I don't think they're going to do that again in game three. Duncan wasn't really that good, especially yeah. defensively. We know what the we know the kind of defensive struggles that he had. I know I was on the podcast after game one saying that I thought Duncan should start. Um, but again, I don't know if it's it's not just him. It, I, I think there's blame to go all around. Some definitely more than others. Um, I don't remember what Duncan how many minutes minutes he finished with, but it wasn't that many. I, mean, I know he hit a few threes at the end. Maybe that's something that carries over in game three. I have no idea if he even plays. Um, Because we're at a point in the series to where you got to shrink the rotation at least a little bit. You can't go nine, ten deep. If Spo wants, to, if Spo, who, whoever he starts in game, in game three, I'm guessing. Just if I were to throw a dart, I'm guessing it'd probably be Caleb. But who the heck knows? You got to go seven, eight deep because you're at a point in the series where it's like you just got to throw every. You got to play your seven, eight best guys. And I don't know if Duncan necessarily fits into that category. I don't know really who fits into that category. We could probably go over some names, but I just don't like you got, you're at the point in the series where I mentioned it before even game one, like you got to throw the kitchen sink at Milwaukee. And now that I'm guessing Giannis will play in game three, I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe so until it comes out that he doesn't kind of like game two. I'm guessing if Giannis plays in game three, like you can't, you can't hold anything back, especially when you're defending home court. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're touching about a lot of things that we discussed as well. Um, the the that yeah uh max cannot guard lopez anymore that's just ridiculous what other adjustments <laughs> do you think that he can make to make to make this into a series i know it's 1-1 but it looks like it looks like the heat have lost all momentum from game 1 um the confidence I, I don't know what it's at right now 
I guess it's a good thing they're going back home. Uh, do they have somebody like a Joe Inglis or a Pat Connaughton that can just come in and give you some good production off the bench? Uh, can, can is this all the Depot's time to shine? Is it? What do you do? Haywood Highsmith? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's a certain way because I that's what I said to Brandon. Bucks can beat you in so many ways. They showed it in the first quarter. They beat the Heat inside. Then they destroyed them outside from 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 deep. Uh, it, again, thanks to their bench, the bench helped them out. I mean, it was those two players. Um, you know, Goran isn't going to kill you. He's only he was only in there for like bucket minutes, uh, 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 <laughs> garbage minutes. Sorry, uh, but there's no question that they have. a a much deeper bench. They have guys like Jay Crowder that the Heat would love to play. Um, do you, can you come up with any adjustments that, that the Heat can, can make for game three? Well, just in terms of speaking in the rotation, like I've talked about this in other spaces before, like there is no right answer because every, like whatever, whatever adjustment you try to make matchup wise, like when one door closes, another door opens and like, that's just the talent discrepancy that Milwaukee has over Miami. They have guys like Giannis, Middleton, Drew, Lopez, Portis, but then, yeah. but then when you don't, when you're not able to like, like they also have Connaughton and Grayson Allen. I mean, Grayson Allen's been starting these games, but like they also have those guys as well as the five that I previously mentioned. I mean, Miami when you're relying on Jimmy Butler to get you 35, 40 points with, I don't know, however many rebounds and double digit assists, or at least close to it. Yeah. And then Bam Adebayo to get you 20 to 25 points with 10 plus rebounds. Like they don't have many other consistently good options after that. And that's the problem that we run into with this stuff is that Miami's got two guys and it especially hurts when Tyler Hero's now out for the series because of, because he broke his hand at the end of game one. Obviously they weathered the storm in game one, but we just knew all of that wasn't sustainable and that multiple pieces, not just one like Struess, like Vincent, like even Duncan when he plays like Oladipo who showed some flashes, but it wasn't like he has been this year. It wasn't consistent. Like you're going to need, you're going to need guys to step up. And, like, when we play the matchup game, like, okay, who should defend who? Like, should Jimmy defend Giannis or should Bam defend Giannis? Or, like, how how do you want, ever, like, want to play that game of chicken? Like, you're going to end up with, like, a Max Struess on a Chris Middleton or something. Like, like not to name names or anything, but you're going to – there's going to be at least one mismatch somewhere that you're going to have to live with, and that's what Miami's done through these first two, first two games with a Max Struess on a Brooke Lopez. Yeah, that's not sustainable. That shouldn't really be happening on paper, but it's like – Miami doesn't have many other options. No. Just no. outside of that point. So it's like, I don't like from an adjustment standpoint, if you're going to adjust the rotation, like again, I mentioned that I'm guessing Caleb starts ahead of uh, Duncan in game in game three. Well, then I would probably guess the rotation after that would be some sort of like Kyle Lowry, Kevin Love, and or I'd pick you, you could pick uh, either Oladipo or Robinson. I mean, Old Depot again showed some flashes, but again, like just from like an offensive offense to defensive uh, matchup standpoint, like they're going to, they're going to leave them open. Like they're going to pin, they're going to try to do everything they can to take Jimmy and out of bio out of the game. And like Old Depot has been so inconsistent with this jump shot. But then again, he also adds like, if you want to lean into the defense, like Miami's defense wasn't that good in game two at all. And it's been pretty bad for throughout the majority of the second half of the season. Well, you can have, you can put Oladipo. I 
you could insert Oladipo as kind of like that defensive, I guess, stopper for lack of a better word on that end. But I don't really know what his role would be. But then like you could you could say the exact same thing about like Duncan because Duncan, again, wasn't good defensively and he wasn't in this game. But he the reason why I campaigned for him in game two is because he just adds that floor spacing, that kind of that shooting that Tyler Hero had. And like, if you can supplement that in there somehow, some way it could work. But again, you're running into these matchup nightmares and this is just like a worst case scenario matchup for Miami. And we're, we, we could spend all day talking about like, all right, what adjustments could they make schematically? What adjustments can they make in the rotation? It's just like, I don't know at this point, there's one right answer because again, there's such a big talent discrepancy and it's just, yeah. it, it, you could, you could do whatever they like. Spolstra is in a terrible spot right now in terms of like, what can I do to stop this behemoth of a team, the most complete team in the NBA, arguably? Yeah. What what can I do with this inconsistently inconsistent roster that my that we've had all season? Like it he's put in a, such a tough spot just from like a schematic standpoint, because it's like if you blitz him, then you're leaving like four on threes, three on twos on the backside, and then like what do you do there? You can't switch everything because then again you're gonna get Gabe Vincent on a Brooke Lopez or there's something like there's and then but then again like if, if you start hedging or doing whatever and pressing and it's just like you're you're just at a, such a disadvantage on the back line and I just it's so hard to discuss all this because it's like you need to force turnovers and you need to hit threes like it's simple as that and you need to get out and transition and get easy buckets and if you don't you don't play a perfect game of basketball you're not going to win these games against Giannis Middleton and Drew and this just phenomenal Bucks team Right. And on top of that, Bam isn't playing at his all-star level. Uh, Tyler's gone. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned what, what more can, what more can, can the Heat ask of Butler um, at this point? He's, he's giving you everything. And the Heat, yes, of course, they shot 60% from game one. As you mentioned, that's not sustainable. And I know the numbers are a little skewed because there was so much garbage time, right? But the Heat didn't. <laughs> yeah. Overall, yeah. the Heat didn't shoot that bad in Game Two. It's just no, that the, the Bucks just were just better in every way. And 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 while you were talking about adjustments, I'm thinking like in the movies when you try to when somebody's trying to plug like one uh, water coming out, and then it just another one just pops out from somewhere else in the wall. <laughs> it's like that with the Heat. Yeah. Like you, you you yeah. There's only so many adjustments you can make. The roster is is oddly constructed. It just is. Yep. You just look up and down. There's just really nothing. Oh yeah. You, we we got to play this guy. He's going to solve. He's not going to. No, it's not going to happen. What what would you do as far as you know? The the Heat didn't make any kind of a splashy signing. That's what they you know appeared to be trying to do. But they also didn't make those kind of like under the radar player kind of signings either. That they that they have done before to you know to big effects. But to, is it as simple as just blowing up this roster for for next season? Because I mean, if the Heat don't play out of their minds, th- this season's going to be over soon. Um, what, yeah. How do you move on from this this roster? Uh, I mean, I've I, we're probably going to talk about this a lot come the off season, but oh, here's yeah. just like my my TLDR. Um, like, well, they're in a situation. Miami's in a situation right now where they have they're they're not they're not in a bad cap situation. But it's actually, I, I don't even want to say they're not in that situation. They're they're in a situation where they're above the tax, and I think I want to say like if everything's guaranteed as of right now, 
for next season. And I think they're about 12 million above the tax mm-hmm. or 11 to 12 million around that range. And it's like when they would probably be paying $20 million in luxury tax. Well, Mickey Harrison has come out with quotes and saying, if this team isn't like a competitive team, I don't necessarily want to pay into the tax. Or I'm paraphrasing when I say that that's kind of like right. his mumbo jumbo. He doesn't want to pay the tax unless the team is the title contender. Well, the roster as of right now is not a title contender, obviously, as we as we've seen, even though they did come one shot away from making the finals last year. That's just not the current state of the team. Unless if guys improve, things can change, whatever. But that's not even also including the free agents of a Gabe Vincent or a Max Strews, who they can resign. I don't know what type of money they're going to get. I mean, the mid-level exception is around 12 million, I think for next season as of right now. I don't think that's going to be... I don't think they're going to get mid-level money. I'm guessing they're probably going to get a similar contract to Caleb if Miami does elect to re-sign both of them. And Miami now can negotiate with them right after, I think, the NBA... I think it's the day after the NBA Finals, kind of like what they do in baseball, whether it's like the day after the World Series, like you can you can start signing your own free agents that you have. To, that kind of... That kind of eliminates free agency in some way. I mean, I, you know, there's guys that are going to leave or whatever. They don't want to return, but um, Miami's in a weird situation because it's like Tyler's extension finally kicks in next year. Yeah. Jimmy's extension that he signed, I think before last off season or it was either not last off season, the year before will kick in. Yeah. And so you have multiple extensions kicking in. I mean, I know Duncan's going to be on the books for 18, 19 million. Cal is going to be on the books for nearly 20 or nearly 30 million. And so it's like, you're going to have to play around. I don't know if Miami can necessarily blow up this roster the way some people would might, might want to think they can because of like, if you trade Cal Lowry, the only guy that you know, you can replace him with is a free agent. So you're likely going to have to sign him back. The same thing with a Duncan Robinson. Like, if you trade Duncan Robinson, I mean, yeah, Duncan Robinson is at this point a depreciated asset. But then the the guy that you have to replace him with, kind of like that mold, is Max Struess, who, again, is a free agent. So they're still going to be bringing some of these guys back, most likely. I don't know. I'm not in the front office. I don't know what they think. But you're going to, you're, you're in, you're in a spot to where you're going to still bring, you're still going to bring some of these guys back. And you don't, you're not, the roster might not be completely different. I mean, there's, there's ways to work around the fringes to add size, to add rebounding, to get a cheaper free agent to maybe when you trade Duncan and you have to attach a pick or an additional asset or whatever, you can get something back that will help you. Like that's really what Miami is looking at right now. They're not, people love to say that Miami can go star hunting, but with the roster that they have right now and the assets that they have, yeah. what star are you necessarily looking at? Because again, I've talked about, I talked about this last off season when they were in the hunt for Donovan Mitchell, like other teams aren't going to value Miami's assets as much as Miami does. That's yeah. just not how this works. So in love. And that's how it is with every, that's how it is with most teams right. is you're going to hold your own guys to a different regard than than free agent X or free agent Y or GM X and GM Y. And so it's like that, that's in a, we're in a precarious spot with that because we know sure as heck they're not going to trade Jimmy or Bam without their request. Like that's just not going to happen as much as people would like to float that into the space. That's just not going to happen. But then you're wanting into a situation where it's like, all right, how are teams going to view Tyler here? 
How are teams going to view Victor Oladipo if he opts into his player option? How are teams going to view Duncan Robinson? Like these teams probably aren't going to value these guys unless if, unless if I, I could be completely wrong. I mean, I I wouldn't, but that's I'm not every single GM in basketball. You know, like they're going to value these guys differently than or Miami's going to value these guys differently than other GMs. And it's like, if you're in a hunt for, I'm just going to throw this name out there, not say there's anything to it, but Damian Lillard, how are you going to convince Portland's GM that Tyler hero plus picks plus Kyle Lowry to make the money match plus whomever you want to throw in that trade is going to equal a Damian Lillard type. I was going to, yeah. He signed an extension at the length at two year extension at the end of our, uh, before the season. Right. Who has, I think, two or three. No, I think he has three or four years left on his deal. Like, how are these guys going to view? How are you going to get that to work? And I don't know. I don't, like, know. I don't think Miami can go star hunting. They're not in a position to right now. They're going to have to. Unless they do like a Timberwolves, like a package like that, where they just trade away the entire future. I mean, you can Maybe, but give like, up I don't multiple know. picks. Yeah. It's yeah, tough. I don't know what exactly. I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah. we've seen like even since that Gobert trade that the trade market just isn't like that for other players. Like, it, like Durant went for less, right. Irving went for less, and obviously Kevin Durant is a better player than Rudy Gobert. It's just that Minnesota was in a spot where they were so incredibly desperate, and their GM was also the GM who had Nurkic and Jokic on the same team. Like he worked right. with two bigs before, and so it's like I don't. I don't know if a deal like that's out there uh, for my, for like a Tyler hero. Like I, again, we're getting a trade talk, but like, that's kind of like the gist of like where my head's at. Cause it's like, yeah. you're going to have to work around the fringes of this roster to improve. And it's not to say they can't because they obviously can, but I mean, Andy Ellisberg and Pat Riley have their work cut out for him this off season. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen what Andy can do. I mean, we've seen what the new CBA will bring in with like, if you see the second tax apron, and like what that, what those restrictions will be. And I'm sure Andy's already come up with 17 different plans, probably even more than that because he's a wizard when it comes to this kind of stuff with the cap and same thing with Pat trying to go negotiate deals. But like these last few years haven't been good. And have we seen that we see that with the roster that they have right now uh-huh. and in all of that's looking in hindsight and that's kind of unfair, but that's kind of like our job is to look at this stuff like and evaluate this stuff over time. And yeah, it hasn't worked out. I don't really know what the adjustments, just going back to like the original question. I don't know what yeah. the adjustments that like Spo can make or like what, because I mean, heading into the series, I mean, it, it's the one versus the eight. I mean, Miami right now is an eight seed for a reason, regardless of what happened in game one, regardless right. of what happened last year. Like they're the eight seed for a reason. And I think that can't go unnoticed. And the Bucks are the one seed for the reason, for the same reason. They're really good. They're probably, I'd probably say they're the best team in basketball right now, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I don't know, but they're really good, especially when everyone's healthy. Definitely. And um, we're going to have, yeah, plenty of time to discuss uh, the roster, what we can do uh, as far as adjustments go, as far as counting on inter- internal growth from some of these younger players. Um but again, we have all of off season to go over this, and, and I'm a f- very afraid that it'll come. It'll be happening a lot sooner than than later. Um, it probably will. Yes, yes, I I, I think so. <laughs> but um, let's let's leave it with one more uh, one last question. Um, moving on uh, beyond just like a short term uh, 
fix that we can do. Does Spolstra have a reason to have a, a, a playoff rotation? Let's put it that way. Is there a reason for having a tight playoff rotation? It, shouldn't he just put everybody in at some point in the first half, at this point in the series, and see if somebody has the hot hand, if somebody's being effective, like, like Joe and Pat were for, for the Bucks off the bench? Is there a point of having a, a rotation that's like set and have eight or nine guys that these are the players that I trust? I mean, yes, but also things happen in a game to where you could definitely sway away from. As an example, like, I mean, I can't think of like a real life example, but player X gets in foul trouble. Yeah. Like within the first five minutes of a game. Okay, then you're going to have to adjust everything that you do just from like a rotation. That's just, that's basketball. One on one, you you can have a set rotation. You can have a set seven or eight guys that you would want to play in a given series, especially in a series like this. But then you run into situations where guys get in foul trouble, and you have to find a way to work around it and play. You you're, you might be in a situation where you're forced to play weird lineups. But I think like Joe and Pat were two guys that I think were already kind of in that nine to ten man Bud rotation. I, I was guessing sure. Bud was going to go much deeper than Spo in this series because he has that depth. And I know but, that but Pat didn't as even Milwaukee advances. Right, Pat didn't even play in game one. You know? Right, right. Yeah. But like as the series as the Bucks playoff uh adventure goes on, I mean for lack of a better word, adventure, but like as it as they continue to progress throughout the series, and if I'm guessing there's like a ninety nine percent sure they'll beat Miami in a seven game series. As they go on throughout the playoffs, of course that'll shrink. But like for Miami's instance, like we saw in game one how reliable they were with Kevin Love. You know, like he had the hot hand. He was playing very well. I know I've had my criticisms of criticisms of Love in the past that hasn't gone away, but like he got the hot hand and he was playing really well. And Spoke kind of stuck with him, especially in that second half. And it's like you can't fault him for that. Like if a guy like, I don't know, if he brought in a Victor Oladipo or a Duncan Robinson, or so, again, I'm using those two guys because those guys are towards the end of that eight to nine man rotation. But like if he brought in either of those two guys and either two of them got hot in a game where they hit four threes or whatever the case is, like, yeah, you're going to stick with them. Like, I don't see why not, but you're just going to have to work around that when it comes to like, if, if guys are getting in a foul trouble, I mean, Milwaukee, they have Giannis, dude. Giannis barrels in the lane and draws plenty of fouls. It's not anything new. He gets to the free throw line a lot. Same thing with Drew, same thing with Chris, um, same thing with Brooke, just because of the size mismatch that he has. Like These guys are going to draw fouls, and that's just the reality of the situation. Depending on who gets into foul trouble, are, it will be completely dependent on what that rotation looks like. Right. Because you you're, you have to adjust on the fly with this stuff, and you have to have – you have a plan A, but then you got to have a plan B, a plan C, so on and so forth. That's just how coaching, especially in the playoffs, work. Um, and that also goes along with adjustments because certain lineups will do certain things. Like we saw for the last two years, when ever Caleb and Gabe were on the floor at times, they would press. Like there's just there's just certain there's certain machinations of this type of stuff that Miami will have to work around depending on what happens over the course of a game. But yeah, I think right. of course there should be a playoff rotation. I mean, you want to have at least right now, especially in the in the situation that Miami's in, you want to have seven or eight guys. You want to have your, you want to play your best seven or eight guys, and then whatever happens from there happens, and you just have to work around that. I'm sure Miami didn't expect Tyler Hero 
to get to break his hand in game one. So it's like, okay, now you have to shift the rotation a little bit. Now you have to adjust. And they adjusted well, at least in game one. And game two was a little bit of like, it started out not great. And it just got even worse as time progressed. And so now you're going to have to, at home, defending your home court, you have to find a way to at least split these two games, hopefully, and go on from there. Hey, the series is 1-1. So let's not forget that. Uh, but once again, uh, thank you again for your insight. I don't understand how the Heat haven't hired us as a consultants yet because we're we're such a good writing team. We have so much, so many good insights, uh, and you're and you're you're one of the best. Uh, so I always appreciate thank you. Uh, all your all your content on Hot Out Hoops. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our website, I don't know why you're waiting. Please subscribe to uh, to Hot Out Hoops. We're now on Substack. Um, we're going to be doing the podcast as well regularly. Uh, we're going to be adding more stuff as well uh, as we continue to rebuild our site. Uh, so I want to thank you for listening and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. And uh, we'll, we'll see you guys soon. And uh, so thanks again, Matt. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. See you. Bye-bye.